0: And we're about to go live. Hello, everybody. Good evening or good morning if you're in the other part of the world and welcome to EC open chat book study. My name is Georgina Dean and I'm joining from Amanda Jordan and I'm joined by all of these awesome ed tech leaders around the room and we are a small group today guys. So do you want to just say hi and give a shout out where you're joining from?
1: Good morning, everyone. I'm Tiffany, joining from Louisiana. Looking out the window, waiting for the rain. (laughs) Hopefully it's just rain. Go ahead,
0: Mia. Sorry.
2: Hi, all. This is Mia, who hasn't joined in a while because of many things. Joining in from Illinois. I hope you enjoy my Star Wars poster in the background, because that's what happens in all my video calls in my office.
0: So nice to have you, Mia. And don't worry about, you know, everybody's got crazy busy schedules. And so it's so lovely to have you. Thanks for popping in. Hey,
3: everybody. Pat Hausman. I'm joining in from Northern Virginia. And I too have made a few of these, but not as many as I wish. Work tends to get in the way. It's just that pesky little thing that's always there.
0: It's so nice to have you again, Patrick. Welcome.
4: Shannon, I think you're next. Yes. Hi, everybody. Shannon. (laughs) Sorry, I'm a little hyper this morning. Uh, California, United States, that side. And, um, you know, thriving. It's almost the end of the second grading period here. So lots going on. But I'm choosing to uh, choose joy today. That's my goal. Glad to be here. I'm always very excited to have
0: my partner in crime joining from book study, so welcome Shannon. And I like your
4: bats behind you, are those new? They are, I just put them on for this week uh, for Halloween and then they will go away and I'll have a new background next week. Trying to be festive. I need some festiveness going on also, I think. The blur background really does, you know add like that eerie feel, so I think you're good.
0: Oh, that's good to know. Thanks. (laughs) Well, welcome, Shannon, and your bats. Uh, Really happy to see the bats. And um, Francis, how are you doing?
2: Hi, I'm I'm okay. I'm first time back on a video meeting since I broke my ankle, so very happy to be here, but not doing very well on the tablet. So if I don't say anything, it's because I'm struggling with tablet screens. But great Uh. to meet you.
0: Frances, I'm sorry to hear about your ankle. And I, I hope it's it- better now. Oh, speedy recovery. Yeah, thank you. Nice to have you again. All right, Becky. Go wonderful, Becky.
5: Hey, everyone. I'm Becky, joining from Southern California, right outside of Los Angeles, or in Los Angeles, I guess. Um, so excited to be here with all of you again, and ready to start my morning with you all. Woohoo!
0: Okay, cool. Well, I'm very excited. I don't know why, because it's almost the end of book study. And so I should be feeling a little bit sad. But I, as you all know, I'm reading this awesome book for the second time. And I finished the part, the fourth part, I was going to say the part four, and then I remembered that Shannon's on the call and that I'd probably get an English tap on the hand. Um, so the fourth part of the book is super exciting. And I was on the treadmill reading it. And I was like, oh my goodness, all of these, all of these sparks came to me while I was on the treadmill. And so I think that's why I'm very excited. So um, stay tuned for the final uh, book study questions coming out later this weekend Um, and looking forward to sharing and celebrating all of that. But before we get to the final section, we do have an important a few chapters to unpack together on discovering the power of voice. I'm gonna share my screen in now. Um, Discovering the power of voice and with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, no worries, Mia, thanks for popping in and hopefully you can come back in again, no worries. Um, Great, and so sailing into the great beyond, and we were looking at uh, chapters 11 and 12. And so if you've had a chance to read them, please feel free to um, share, you know, open chat. And if you have participated in the chats already underneath, then we will get to those as well. So today's celebration is all about classroom culture. If you would like to shout out, Somebody in your team, a teacher that you're supporting who has really done a sparkling job of creating a positive classroom culture. Would anybody like to share?
3: I'll jump in and at least say one of our social studies teachers who's middle school teaching virtually. He does a really great job of building in different little game aspects and things that the kids are used to for little like entrance tickets, exit ticket type things. He plays like different like Disney music in the background of different things just to give it a different feel. And he also does what he terms Gimkit Kit Fridays. And he does games actually after school where kids, admins, parents, like everybody can jump in and it kind of extends that community and gives it less of a just school feel.
2: Uh, I kind of want to actually toot my own horn a little bit about um, uh, positive classroom culture. I'm doing something I've never done before this Thursday and Friday since it's Halloween. Um, If you're familiar with the virtual mystery guest activity, you know, the kids are given three clues and then they figure out, okay, who's the virtual mystery guest? Well, I'm going to be dressing up as Elsa with a wig and everything and i'm going to be the virtual mystery guest that pops into their rooms so like every slot i have available on thursday and friday for teachers to book me has been booked so i'm going to be going from room to room as in character as elsa um uh, after the kids guess the three clues so that's what i'm going to try to do to bring some positivity
0: I love that. That is so cool. So Disney music from Patrick dress up and virtual mystery games from Mia. Oh my goodness. Can I join too?
2: Uh, I, I think it's, um, uh, our domain would be blocked. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> cool.
0: I figured as much, but I'm, I'm very excited literally because, you know, we often think about like, you know, dressing up and joining our students or our teachers, whoever your learners are. And then, um, But actually going in and dressing up into other people's classrooms, that's pretty funky. So way to go, Mia. And I definitely think it's going to um, create more engagement and excitement from the students in your school, like all around, whether it's K-12 or district. I don't remember if everyone is working in a school or a district, but yeah, so that's really cool. Um, Would anyone else like to add to that?
5: So I'm working with a fifth grade teacher and, um, she does a great job of just getting students engaged in the activity by pulling in fun, different things. We taught her students how to utilize the emoji keyboard. And like for us adults, that's not that exciting. It is. We use it all the time, but for fifth graders, that is next level. And so all week this week, uh, her, I call them bell ringers and I can't, everyone calls them something different, but while the students are waiting to join, um, they have a different activity to do with the emoji keyboard. And yesterday's activity was to use emojis, to try to get others to guess what movie you're talking about. No words, just emojis. And then they started off, it was like three minutes of the day, but her fifth graders are so excited to come to her live meets. Because each day starts off with a quick three-minute something. And they are engaged throughout. So I, I have to give her the biggest shout-out. It's amazing.
0: That's super cool. I really like that. I also found that teachers who were able to come up with little ways of gamification for really short spurts, either at the beginning of the day or beginning or ends of the lessons, had really big wins in their classroom. So yeah, way to go, guys. That's like a round of applause for everybody. That's super exciting. Um, Patrick uh, says students recreating the bill of rights with emojis. Oh my goodness, Patrick, tell me more, please.
3: So it was a collaboration with the same social studies teacher that I talked about, where after studying the bill of rights, they are then tasked with trying to recreate it using only emojis if possible and sparingly use words or illustrations if they need to fill in gaps
0: just incredible like i'm a bit speechless i'm trying to think of what that would look like and how that would you know
3: and of course it is quite simplified it's definitely not every word it's main concepts but it's still cool to try (laughs) and see how a middle school mind wraps their head around that and then recreates it with emojis
0: yeah, that is so cool. And I'm thinking like, you could even go further and like if the idea is like an emoji, you could like even doodle or draw or sketch Google drawings or on paper, like the the, the rest of it, you know, it could turn into something more elaborate and it could be scaffolded. That is so cool. Um, Shannon says it meets them where they are. Yes, I agree. Cool. Becky's learned a lot through emojis. Becky, that's cool.
5: No, no, no. I'm saying I feel like I would have learned the Bill of Rights a lot better if if we would have learned through emojis. Like, that is way more fun than the let's read this together and try to remember each of them. And you had the one fun teacher who threw in hand signals for each one. But I love that idea, Patrick.
0: Patrick's on fire. Thank you for sharing, buddy. We all live vicariously through your creativity. All right. Awesome. Okay guys, let's dive into these questions. Um, and I'm really excited. Sounds like everybody's got some really awesome ideas to share. So let's get started. Okay. These are the questions for today. Um, for chapter 11 the first question is all around student agency and how we can support it how do we amplify student voice now i think but again that's just my personal opinion that we got a lot of that happening all the time uh, with the folks that are on this call today and so i know you all have some great things to um to share and shout out but i wanted to ask Like the question here specifically is talking to why do you think some of the educators that you support may struggle with this? And what are some of the things like what are some of the things that you think they're afraid of and how may you have helped them to overcome those? Um, So this is where we were going with that. Um, Jenny's got some ideas down there in the bottom. We'll talk about boldly braving new things as soon. Um, But yeah, let's talk about the fear piece first. Why do you think teachers might be afraid of that, guys? And there are some comments, so we'll get to those in a second. I just wanted to give everybody a chance to share first.
2: I think teachers can be afraid because of the lack of control and the potential for inappropriate comments coming out, basically. Uh, At the middle school um, in my district, I know there has been a lot of challenges with sharing what is appropriate on Zoom, one's feet in the camera view is not appropriate. So I think that's why there can be concern with teachers just because students need to be taught those appropriate boundaries.
0: I like that and I like how you said that they need to be taught boundaries, right? Um, You know, it may be easier for us as educators or coaches to be able to set appropriate boundaries, but I definitely think that that is an important skill. Um, and I do call it a skill because I think being able to self-assess and be self-aware in all of these, I think these are skills that we learn and we get support um, becoming aware of. So I think that's really, really important. Thanks for sharing, um, Mia. And Patrick, um, the fear of the unknown. Tell us more, Patrick.
3: Yeah, for a lot of the teachers I work with, it's really the fear of the unknown. And what I mean by that is it's, not necessarily the unknown of what my student's going to do what could they possibly type in the chat it's i don't know this tool exceptionally well yet myself so i don't even know what all these students might do and not even obviously the inappropriate side but also the side of what if they go down a rabbit hole i've never seen before and i don't know how to help them and you're there a lot as a tech coach but you're not always there and i don't want to kind of face plant in front of the kids not being able to answer a question on a tool that I had that I asked them to use and our teachers have gotten a lot better with the fact that it is perfectly fine and it's actually an awesome thing to learn from the students and I've taught some of them to turn control over have the student in our virtual side have the student screen share it and teach the whole class the awesome thing they just learned and obviously you got to You got to know which students you can trust to do that and not put their foot on the screen instead of sharing what they're supposed to do. But it's turned out well for a lot of us, but it's, it's just that unknown.
0: I really love that, and I love how you said, like, let, ask the student to share their screen and teach everybody. It's one of the first things I do when I'm in my classes too, and someone's like, oh, look what I can do with that 3D model, and I'm like, oh, show us, come on, and share your screen in. and I think it's so powerful. And it really also motivates and inspires the other students in the class to then want to get ahead of the ball so they can be the next ones to share too. So there's like a whole uh, domino effect there. Um, I'd like to add on to that so yeah thanks for for sharing that out Patrick um also um, we were talking about their authentic audiences to be able to share with. so this part of the book is talking about students being inspired to, Um, share what they're creating authentically, basically. So there's authentic learning, but part of that authentic learning is also having a final piece to go to, right? It's like the end of the tunnel, I guess you could say. And what are they doing with all of those wonderful things that they're creating? And so Jenny talks about um, sharing her or having her students. And then obviously for us, that would be the teachers we're supporting to have their students share out what they're creating on Twitter using a hashtag called Comments for kids. Now, I have to say, I haven't seen if that's still a thing that's going on on Twitter or not. Has anyone tested that or tried that out? Okay, so maybe that's something I'm going to go away and do this weekend is test to see if that is something that's still currently being active. But I like the whole idea behind um, comments for kids is that they could take student work and post it in a safe place where other people could get comments and students would have an authentic avenue to share. Now I think the world you know and thanks partly you know to COVID um, etc. I think that the world's come a long way in other ways that students can share. So we have like mystery Skypers if you're in Microsoft um, for education um, and you can do Google Meets with pretty much anybody and so there's lots of different ways that you can Um, you can reach your students so um, oh Becky brings up a good point about age restrictions on Twitter go ahead Becky that's important
5: yeah so just because I'm in an elementary only district uh, Twitter is not COPA compliant and actually technically not legal under the age of 13 so even if students are using it they're not they're putting in a fake age and so for me, I, I don't ever encourage the use of Twitter for kids. I do for educators, but there are ways to do like a mock Twitter where you create your slides to look like a Twitter feed and students are going in and commenting on each other's, but you're keeping it within the classroom just because of student privacy issues and um, maintaining that COPPA compliance. As a coach, I never push out anything that isn't, isn't legal, so I don't ever push out social media. No, that's really good
0: um Je- uh, jenny in her book was actually saying that she is the teacher was sharing out the student work it wasn't the student so sorry if i didn't clarify that properly but yeah obviously, you have to check on the age of your students. So like if you're teaching secondary, they have to be over 13. But in Jenny's case, or at least at the time she wrote the book, she was working with elementary students. And so she used to tweet out some of their work. But like you said, they also, um, I don't remember, I'd have to check the chapter, she either said that she or some of her colleagues created a mock account also, but it was a school account. And so Shannon's nodding. Shannon, is that right? Was it her or someone else? Do you remember?
4: Yeah, it was her. I think it was in a different um, chapter that she had talked about that. But yeah, it oh. was that idea that, like, um, yeah, they they created a school account, and so it came out from that account because she had littles or something like that.
0: Yeah. So definitely, you know, if anybody's watching after the fact, please, please, please make sure that you are COPA and FERPA and GDPR if you're in EMEA region um, compliant because safety is number one priority for everybody. But the whole point is, and this is an interesting topic for conversation, obviously we can't spend the whole hour on it, but we want to be able to help our educators give authentic learning experiences to their students, right? So how do we do that? in safe environments that continue to be harping down on all of these compliance and regulations it does become difficult um so shout out to someone like um ditch that textbook uh j matt miller he's always creating those super powerful social media resources um Uh, you know, on Google Slides that look like those platforms, you know, and Adobe Spark. Also, you can create certain um, templates that are the sizes of actual social media um, formats as well. And so your students could then play with those in safe, compliant spaces as well. So, um, but I just really love that idea, guys, about being able to share out. And I was even thinking, like, I took my students to um, Adobe Max last week, which was an international... um, free event uh, led by adobe and so i I teach a couple of classes of creative media and i took some of my grade 12 students uh, virtually through google meet and they watched real live artists create and talk about their passion and um, because i was logged in in a separate window with my own account any questions that the students had for the artist typed it in the google meet and then i asked those questions live so on the screen share the students are seeing me ask their questions live and get answers Um, live in the screen. So it was quite really powerful. And I'm always trying to find different ways that we can meet them authentically. And how do we get their voices out there. So that was one thing that was really exciting. And I was thinking also, thanks, Tiffany. And I was thinking also, how could I do that more? So um, I'm now on the lookout for since last week, new conferences coming up. And what would is there anything appropriate where I could take my students to so for example or even having different artists come in like you can do with mystery Skypes and different things like that just to share with the students but I want to take them places you know so this whole idea of virtual field trips has become and now quite powerful for me so I'm on the lookout if y'all hear of anything uh, send it my way because I, I really had a positive experience with that this week. Um, Would anyone else like to share on this idea of authentic audiences to amplify voices before we head off to number two? Actually, I didn't even, sorry guys, I'm just gonna pop up, the conversation was rolling and I didn't even pop up the people who participated in the chat, sorry guys. Francis, um, I know you're on the call and I know you're on a tablet, but did you wanna share what you were talking about there in your um, post? And don't feel obligated if not. I really like what she said there about having virtual drop-ins and so it's the same kind of idea if you can't take your kids somewhere you could have a drop-in you could even do virtual drop-ins across the school virtually or horizontally so that's really good too francis is highlighting in red i love it she says through the coaching process or was that somebody else maybe it was becky it was shannon through the coaching process we can model the impact of settling settling targets and making the learning more relevant to the teacher as it would be to the student if they were given voice choice and driving the learning process rather than just learning what the teacher deems to be important very cool shannon what does that mean for you since you pointed that out i'd love to hear your uh, thoughts on that
4: you know i just i really love like francis i just really love your perspective all the time um but i just i think that oftentimes what we assume kids know or know how to do is usually not the case and so the idea of modeling um, modeling things for kids is essential and i think sometimes with our newer educators it's really important to also model some you know walk them through that process uh, as if they were in like the student shoe and so um you know just recently i had a, a teacher who i was talking with about you know lessons in tech and they're not super tech savvy and so there's a lot of fear that exists there, um, and so we played did a role play kind of um, about like what that could look like in the classroom. And and you know, I told them to be a tough student so that they could see could see like the ways to navigate the tech, but also really like focusing on like the learning and the skill that we were we were working on. And I don't know, I just think modeling is so important in this aspect, um, just because they don't know what it means to consider audiences a lot of the time, and they don't know what it means to um, really kind of reframe a message for all audiences and someone who, you know, I teach a class that's solely uh, surrounding rhetoric um, and really, truly the idea of considering an audience and the message and really being mindful and um, deliberate about choices is uh, kind of an essential skill that I think if we're teaching them at a young age, which I think blogging gives that platform, um, then that will continue to be like a um a skill maybe they take and adopt as they continue throughout their, you know, educational journey. And I don't know, I just think about what it could be like if we had a um, you know, a generation of of kids who knows what it means to consider audience in all things. Um I don't know. Kind of cool. I just think that modeling is is important not only for the oh, kids, yeah. but as coaches model for their educators as well.
0: Yeah, model for everybody. If you are learning, you the person you're learning from or the place or the area you're learning from, there should be a model, right, an example. And, and if you're the one leading, then you should lead by example, it includes modeling too. So I totally agree with that. I found this in the book now, wanted to share with you guys if I can position it correctly. Oh, I have background blur on, that may not work. Hold on, let me remove background blur for a second. Um, basically, this part of the book here, Oh, when you need to find background blur, there we go. Okay, so this part of the book here, Jenny it has illustrated a tweet. Do you guys see that? And in her tweet, she basically talks about sharing the tweet With her students now it's very interesting because I was thinking the same thing right because often we have all of these cool people writing on our tweets and I've seen it before. Let me know if you guys have seen it too, where someone has tweeted and said, you know, please share where you're from so that we can see how far the tweet reaches Um, and it's that whole kind of idea so I would like to share out. Um, some things but just remember guys for privacy to blur out you know your own personal twitter account as well as anybody else that's in the feed as well because we have to protect everybody's privacy um, patrick's made a great point about digital um natives and i think that's true and talks again to media literacy and digital literacy and and shannon's right you know we have to model because it's not just about like sending a message it's about being aware of the whole full surroundings of and how we can be safe and how we protect others' safety as well. Um, So yeah, thanks for sharing, guys. Um, Shannon's also, Um, written about modeling there. Dr. Karen's talking about live feeds. So yeah, similar to what I was saying with the with the conference, the whole idea of artists being there live. That's really awesome. Um, Eagles nests, hummingbirds or other nature environments. And she shared a YouTube link as well. So check that out in the book study notes. Thank you, Dr. Karen. Did you want to talk about that?
6: If not, that is okay too. Uh, hi. Uh, well, it's just something I've actually. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Um, I've never actually. Uh, i never actually tried this with students before, but I know that for me personally, it's a nice break to look at some nature that's going on. You know that um, uh, real life, and I know that when you're doing science units and things like that, it, it kind of adds a little bit of authenticity. Uh, to your students not necessarily for them to comment you know depending upon their age but at least to experience and I know there are aquarium views and all kinds of them out there but I just thought that might be a nice resource uh, for students to be able to experience and comment etc.
0: Oh I'm so glad you shared uh, verbally Dr. Karen thank you because I didn't quite understand that from your text. And that's quite powerful. What you just shared there about adding elements of authenticity into our lessons. And I really am very inspired by that. So thank you for um, shouting out. Uh, Becky's also shouted out Google Earth and Voyager also arts and culture have some amazing things in there as well. So there's lots of different places we can go. But what's interesting would be also to add elements of your own experience. Like I really like being able, for example, to show pictures of me skiing in the snow or skating on the uh, Rideau Canal in Ottawa with my students here in Jordan um, or Egypt the other years who may not have seen snow or know that you can skate on ice and so things like that can go a long way as well so yeah just I, I really like that idea of adding authenticity it's not just about um having the actual objective being authentic but the surroundings and different elements so that's that's really awesome thank you for sharing okay cool so as usual i spent a lot of time on one question but we had some great shares so i'll <laughs> move along to question two um All right so this one is about finding something to say so where do we start how do we start to think about the messages that our students want to share and i really want to start with where shannon left off with the modeling because if we're and you know maybe shannon's a really good place to start actually since she's the english expert or one of them in the room um about how do we you know it's when we're writing where do we start and you know who do we You know, what are the ideas and we should start with, or who can we bounce those ideas off on? So, Jenny's chapter here is talking about school blogs um she recommends the walled garden approach first and so share it in house kind of idea and how could we support um educators to practice equity constructive feedback and also digital footprinting while discussing the blog so in this section of the book it's blogging versus libraries and where would we start so there are some comments in the chat would anyone like to share
2: uh, well, I don't have any tra- comments in the chat, but I literally just attended yesterday a professional development all about Generation Z and their use of the internet, sponsored by the Learning Technology Center for Illinois. So I feel like this is really relevant to what we're talking about, especially with digital footprinting, because what's happening for teenagers and even younger students today is the fact that there is no separation between real life and the digital life. And actually what's happening is parents are creating the digital footprint that some students have because of the pictures they post at their soccer game. we like, oh, look, I just, my baby is born or even posting ultrasound pictures. So I think something we have to consider as well, isn't just like the students learning about the positive digital footprint, but about the parents learning not to, the term that is taking hold, not to it not to overshare online about their children. And I can see there are some people in my age range on the internet who understand that and like, we're like, Nope, my, even though I'm a vlogger, you're not going to see anything about my child, but there are other vloggers. We know of, I mean, maybe I shouldn't speak for everyone, but that I know of that have actually exploited their children for entertainment value. Yes. Ki- yes. Uh, Sharon too. So I just wanted to put that out there since I made that connection. Thank you.
0: Oh, no. Thank you for sharing. I'm a little, you know, surprised as you can see from the expression on my face that people would use their children for that. Uh, I don't have children. I can't imagine it. So, um, yeah, just going to take a second there to process that. That's not cool at all. Um, but yeah, it's a really important point point. and actually, um, yeah. Wow. I'm still caught up on the whole parent thing. Do we have any parents in the room? no patrick you have kids don't you no
3: not unless you count what my wife would call fur babies we, we have pets oh. we do not have small two-legged children though
0: <gasps> me too dr karen's a mom okay so dr karen's <laughs> Be sharing a moment people that's that's good yeah that's what I was wondering so like is this do you see this is a real thing in your you know community I'm not putting you on the spot or anything but as a mom do you feel that that would be an issue for your children as well or maybe that that is an a, a gen X did I say that right a gen X gen gen X um, BX, gen Z. <laughs> okay uh, yeah, so- gen Z.
2: Yeah, according to the presentation, Gen Z are the current teens. Gen Alpha are the current elementary schoolers. So now there's Gen Alpha.
0: Whoa, that's new for me. I didn't hear about Gen oh. Alpha oh. yet. Okay. Yeah, Thanks I'm doing so. all the
2: mind-blowing mind stuff today. Yeah. Uh, but to continue, do you see um, that, Dr. Jackson?
6: Well, I I think because we're so familiar with it, you know, it's just we're all getting so familiar with especially being online with people every day, it's uh, kind of an extension. Can I, I want to share just a quick little story. I did a, um, a teach-a-thon with some people a while back, and uh, we used StreamYard, but every hour we would change presenters. And it was really kind of freaky to me after a while because I was hosting. And every time I would invite someone, it was as if... I was inviting them into my home and I just really, I really engaged with those people and it was, it was a real experience. And then the next person that would come on, it was like, Oh, hi, you're in, you're in streamyard with me. Now you're in my home. And so I was going to ask, um, do you think maybe it's just the familiarity, uh, like maybe George, Georgina or, or, well, basically all of you do this all the time. Does it become, like an extension of your own space. Um, I just uh, I think maybe that's why people feel like it's okay. Yeah, um, here's my ultrasound. This is my baby, or um, or like those uh, three videoing three seconds a day and then making a video montage out of it with some snappy music and and pictures of my last year. You know, it. I think it's just the familiarity and without all that talking.
5: <laughs> so that it, I'm actually right there with you. And in one of the courses I'm taking for my EdTech uh, certificate, we were talking about this research and my professor finally gave the research, um, that anyone who started using technology before the age of 14, you don't look at it like a tool. It's not a tool to help you in life. It's a way of life. It's just there. And you're so used to using it to just, let life happen and make life happen. And without technology, like you're not saying, oh, I've lost a tool. It's like you've lost a part of life where anyone who started using tech after the age of 14, um, and I don't know why 14 is the cutoff, it must just be for that research, but after the age of 14, tech is a tool that helps you get something done. It helps you find your research, it helps you connect with people, but you see it as that tool. So I'm wondering because like, I'll be honest, my social media is covered with Sharon's. And that's how I see all my friends' babies. And that's how I see everything, because tech is just a way of life. That's how you share life and stay connected and you don't have to call people. So yeah, that's an interesting point that you make of it's it's just a norm. I mean, people see my house every day.
0: And- To add on to that, this brings us back to the other point of the students like we sorry, because this is very interesting. And I think this may take up the whole book study, actually, because this is a super hot topic right now in education and ed tech. But basically, if we think about our students. So like we're trying to help them collaborate in online or hybrid or in person in safe spaces, right? So if they're in person, they're at school and they're inside McGarry's garden wall, right? They're collaborating safely there or are they because it breaks, they have access to their tools. And then when they're at home, we created these spaces in Google Drive or in Teams, and we've said, hey, go collaborate there. And then in the chat, all of a sudden, you hear Timmy say to Bob, oh, give me a call, or hey, hit me up on Discord. And you're like, whoa, do your parents know you're using Discord? And it's that whole conversation, right? So we we want to recognize that they're out there doing those things, so how can we help them Um, use it in safe ways and we want them to be able to use it authentically but we also know that there are so many out there that are not using it safely and do you want to encourage them to go there when maybe you'll see Becky's nephews on there you know and so it's where where are those lines and where do you support um, students when you're trying to get them engaged authentically when you know they're out there doing it anyway. So super, super interesting. Um, Tiffany, did you want to share what you were had written there about developmental psychology?
1: I can to the to the comment about why the age is fourteen. Essentially, at fourteen, we start to see kids start to see themselves as different from their parents. They're making their own decisions, and we can track that back as far as the early nineteen hundreds. They become their own independent consumers. They have jobs. So, what are they buying? What are they doing? So that's why we see that turn at the age of fourteen. That's why it's so unique.
0: No, thank you for sharing and. um I don't know about everybody else, but like I am sharing my cats. I have fur babies too, Patrick, and my cats are all over my Instagram like daily. I had a little photo shoot with my little white me show the other day. Um, I shared that out and so I don't have children, but you're right, uh, Dr. Karen, I share my cats freely. I'm happy to share my bad hair days in the morning while I'm making coffee and what's going on for the day today. However, that persona, my, my raw self and my life is very different to what i share on twitter so i also compartmentalize my er- my areas of life maybe i'm not saying that right my communities i guess you could say and so i wonder do our students compartmentalize those do they know how they have they been shown how go ahead Mia, let me know
2: they do they um uh, that was something that was also in the presentation where students have Public Instagrams where, like, you know, everything looks nice and pretty, but then they have fake instas where, like, the more private stuff is shared with one another. Um, uh, and uh, I would say that, yeah, so I think students do car- come compartmentalize a bit you know depending on what they're doing but like we all know probably from hybrid and remote teaching that sometimes that compartmentalization isn't always as strict as it should be like how they might type in the zoom chat the way they would in a discord in a discord chat and it's like that's not you know ooh shannon i love that connection of like code switching I think that's a very good connection. Um, Yes, and Patrick, I totally agree with you. Like the professional social media versus personal or like, you know, know, Dr. Jackson, how she has Twitter is strictly education and Facebook is personal. Whereas like I've been hearing teachers, they're like, they do things on Facebook that are like semi-professional, but not fully. And so it's like, I don't know. For me being in between these generations, I'm like, all my online stuff is professional. I have very little like, personal online footprint. Like if you're going to find me on there, you're going to find my school photos from previous years and um, lots of educational tweets lots of educational tweets i like uh the pointing out of like twitter's professional and insta and facebook are personal just that dichotomy because students would be like no it's both twitter is both if they're of the right age and snapchat is personal because that's the other big one i'm sorry i could go on and on about this just because it connects so much to what i learned yesterday
0: no please feel free to go on mia i think it's really important and actually i think this is i think this is really actually inspiring because jenny wrote this book before um i think at least before snapchat came out right let me just check the year again oh gosh i need my glasses guys i'm getting old
2: and tiktok um,
0: TikTok and TikTok is new too. Yeah, totally. So I think that's really cool. So we take what we read in Jenny's book and we apply it to like now the new generations that are coming out and the new technology that students have access to. And wow, what a conversation. So yeah, Um, Shannon, go ahead. Digital tattoo
4: versus digital footprint. That's in there too. Yeah, I couldn't remember if it was in this one or if it was in distance learning playbook, but it was It was before. Yeah, yeah. So the idea, she brought it up earlier about, you know, it's no longer a digital footprint, just because it's, you know, social media is such a prominent, has such a prominent place in our society now that it's like become this digital tattoo. And when I, um, when I first read that, I had never seen that before until I read it. And then I shared it with my kids because it was early on in our year. And uh, they were like, oh, shoot, you know, and we had to talk about the fact that like, yeah, Snapchat goes away after a certain amount of time, but it doesn't ever really go away. Like it lives somewhere on the internet and that's the, the craziness of the internet. And to be honest, like I don't, I mean, I don't know that I could do without my social media to be real. Like I I, I like rely, it's like almost a security blanket. My Twitter is almost a security blanket for me. Um, it's also the way in which I learn uh, a ton and i um you know recently i asked my kids i think it was two days ago like you know we were talking about social media and we were talking about ways in which we communicate and we spread our messages and how important it is to be mindful about what exactly are we putting out into the world and it, what exactly do we we need to we need to consider what do we want from it because ultimately there's a there's an end goal for all of us whether we realize it and it's conscious or not we we spread messages for a purpose um and i asked them i'm like honestly like think about how you communicate i'm sure you guys post multiple times a day on social media and every single student was like no we don't and i was like wait what like are you sure um and i teach high school and it was like literally every class they're like yeah we don't we don't post every single day multiple times a day we'll maybe post every other day or you know and i said okay they're like we consume it like all the time And then it got me thinking about my own life. And, like, I think I post on Twitter at least three to four times a day. You know what I mean? Um, And it made me wonder, like, you know, we have this perception that kids are the ones that are, like, you know, out on the social media and stuff. But I wonder if it's become more of a, you know, a space for us as individuals, adults in this space during, like, COVID lockdowns and all that stuff this is the space in which we connect with other adults. You know what I mean? And like, if that's shifted quite a bit, um, you know, I know students are still doing like Snapchat and things, but I can tell you, my students are much less uh, cautious when it comes to like interacting with individuals like face to face. And so, but for me, you know, like I don't leave my house ever. And if I didn't have social media, I think I would just be a lonely human, you know? And so, yeah, that idea of like, I, I mentioned Facebook the other day, Dr. Jackson, and they were like, you no know, that's for old people and i was like yeah we did take it over but i just wanted to let you know we also started it so like back off you know but um i don't know it's just an interesting perspective and i think we so often think like kids and their social media but i think sometimes maybe we cross and blur those boundaries um as well you know and i and i wonder if that's because you know digital citizenship we can preach it but maybe we don't actually fully grasp you know what a digital tattoo looks like either
0: so uh becky just posted something that i was going to share as my mind-blowing following mia's uh shares earlier today so because my husband is a machine learning engineer and there's new research that just came out that they have revamped the algorithms that go into social media and it's quite scary um so ai runs a lot of it now based on your trends and based on your um your routines, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. But basically, it's really quite scary. And so to each individual person's use of social media, it can go right down to like the amount of of flips you do with your thumb Um, and it it is really quite scary so like he did a test himself since he's an engineer and he deleted a couple of the apps to test it this past week and he was like it's scary Georgina and I'm an engineer and I was like okay take your word for it because I'm not (laughs) and yeah and he was like I really he's like yeah every time I went to the phone like my my finger went in a certain way to a certain app first And it looked for something else a second way. So he was becoming more aware of where he was going. And it really, um, it's really quite scary. So yeah, be very careful. And I think to Shannon's point, as you know, and Dr. Karen, you were saying about the age and everything and Mia also, is that I think his adults were lucky in that respect, because he was saying, my husband was saying, oh, we're addicted. And I was like, well, actually, I don't feel addicted, because I can go. You know a day I do post regularly on Twitter professionally to share and and all that But I can and I don't mind not like today. I don't think there's a single post on my Instagram today I don't mind, you know It's not like but he says that it's become an addiction and I worry that for those where it has become A way of life like our younger generations How are we going to support them and so that it doesn't turn into negative well-being as well? Yeah, or that it affects their well-being negatively. So We need to be really careful. And he, because he asked me, as I'm um, director of learning technology in my work, he asked me, like, what are you doing about this to help your students? And I was like, oh, teach me first so that I can then go (laughs) and support the community. So he was like, yeah, you need to make sure they know about this. And it's true. Like, I don't. I don't know about these algorithms that are going in. So I need to learn about that. Really great point, Becky.
1: And I'll just share this. There was something on the news probably about seven or eight months where they were actually talking with an engineer, and that was the whole focus of it, that they're creating apps to become more and more addictive, that the average U.S. citizen looks at their phone every five seconds to open an app. And when we think about that with young children who are given devices as early as one or two for whatever reason, to pacify, to engage, because we've got, you know, ABC mouse and everything, but think about what that It looks like when I'm two and now when I'm 12 or when I'm 20, what what will that look like for learning? It really is scary. I hope and I'm just going to throw this
0: out there because I'm an optimist in a lot of areas. I hope that we'll be able to find a way as an education community globally to be able to say, hey, you know our students are all on this let's use this for powerful ways so i see a lot of really good stuff going on a lot of stuff related to sggs and save the planet and helping students and some students have gone really far with sharing those powerful messages but how do we support the rest of the community of students to follow along that suit in a positive use and consume consummation is that the right word no Definitely not, I think, right, Shannon? No. Uh, consumerism, what's the word I'm looking for?
1: Consumerism. Consumption. Consum- Consum- consumerism. Consumption.
0: Yeah. Either. Okay. So, yeah, to help them do that positively and then get them creating uh, positively to help, you know, change the world for the better um so something that they're passionate about changing in the world so yeah i think it's it's a it's a really big topic dr karen you were talking about changing um habits i know you were talking about your own habits but it's very interesting and it's back to that point how could we also help our students and how can we help the teachers that we're supporting to help them to create those new habits as well balance i love that francis that's so awesome Cool. So as as I feared, uh, we're almost out of time for book study. I don't know if you guys would like to go on. We have three other questions. Um, if you have to run, I know Patrick and Mia dropped off. Um, that's cool. I think it was really powerful, some of the things that we shared, um, even though we didn't get to the other three questions yet, you know, something to take away and keep in mind when we're um, supporting our communities. We can just have a quick scan through at least before we go. We have about five minutes left. Um, question number three was always uh, was about being, um, you know, passive uh, receiver of information and knowledge or are we contributing to the greater good? So I guess I sort of touched on that with how we can use social media and advocate our voices um, to to have meaningful Oh, I moved the box to have, I was trying to select there the word meaningful, uh, professional conversations within the communities, and how can we encourage that same risk-taking? So if we're thinking about that, if we know we have all of these platforms, and we know that maybe some of the teachers that we support aren't using all of those platforms, how can we help them to take risks? And I kind of think Patrick's not with us anymore. But you know, it's about that idea of supporting them, supporting the teachers to let the the students teach them like, oh, Miss Dean, I've never used TikTok. Who would like to show me how to use TikTok? And have those students teach you how to use TikTok in a safe environment. Obviously, you could provide them with a Google Slide or something else. You know that's COPA and FERPA compliant. But you know, how can you have your your students teach you how to use these things and make them also build positive relationships with you? So we had a couple of comments. Did anyone want to share um, what they wrote or add anything? Um, you know pertinent with the conversation feel free
4: you know i was talking i I mentioned how i feel like uh, a lot of the time when individuals get into education they're told to like sit back observe Um, there's this idea that if you're you're new into the career that like you may not have as much to offer as as like you know uh, veteran educators or whatever and i remember being told that when i first started that like if you want to keep your job just kind of go with the flow or whatever and uh it was really disappointing and i feel like it stifled my creativity quite a bit in my in the beginning of my career and so you know uh now uh as i'm coaching a couple new teachers who are you know a couple years in um i'm really really kind of pushing that like it's always good to take risk because out of risk comes like little confidences um and i tell my students that all the time like little risks mean little confidence and then eventually those become big that becomes big confidence um but the idea that you know give them an opportunity to take those risks like creating cultures uh, at our school sites to really that really do promote risk taking and right now in this climate i feel like you know i was talking to bonnie uh recently that like she posted something on facebook and it it mentioned that like you know there's there was no like training in pandemic teaching we kind of just figured it out you know what i mean and so we have no idea what it's supposed to look like necessarily. Um, And so if any time is a good time to take risks, now is a good time to take risks because I feel like every single day is full of little mini failures, you know? And so if we can take those risks, learn from them, you know, have new iterations and then try again, like that really is going to promote a new generation of educators who believe in risk taking and are actually uh, striving to push the limits, you know? I hope at least. I love that.
0: I didn't think about that as a silver lining. I'm going to add that to my silver lining bucket, Shannon. So thank you very much risk taking into confident uh, teachers as a result of the pandemic. I love it. I was just checking out the other comments there. Becky, did you want to add anything? I see a big smile. I don't know
5: no I'm just I I'm agreeing with Shannon I can't imagine being told to like take a backseat that's so not right um and I'm I'm unfortunate I I've never been put in that position or at least I didn't listen if I was uh which I probably didn't listen um but I love that Shannon you're you're taking that experience and helping coaches with that and really finding a way to say like you don't need to take big challenges because I think that's also scary hearing like oh you're gonna you're gonna make waves and do all of this. No, just like try on little things, do a little bits. So I, Shannon and I, I'm just smiling because I agree with all of this and you're amazing. That's all.
0: Aww. A little coaching love. I love it. Ah, okay, great, awesome. Um, So, Moving on to question number four was all about uh, reflection at all levels is vital. So this probably comes as no surprise to us as education professionals. Reflection is super important in the learning cycle. What about in the coaching cycle? So Megara talks about artifacts as coaching models in our digital portfolios? How can we support that through the coaching cycle and how can we use that also to celebrate successes meaningfully? So um, if you've had an experience, feel free to share it. I know Shannon and Francis and Dr. Jackson's gonna share um, a little bit as well, but let me know. I'll leave the question on there for those who haven't participated yet.
5: I'm going to jump in with a really quick one. And for me, I think this starts if we're going to be, uh, inspiring educators to be reflective, we need to do it ourselves. Uh, this is definitely an area that I've grown in over the past year and feel like I can continue to grow in in just self-reflection and asking myself those questions because I'm not comfortable self-reflecting. I don't know how I can expect a teacher that I'm coaching to be reflective. So, um, I, I like her reflection guide that she has in here on one thirty eight. Uh, I, I just think we have to we have to take start it off.
0: I love that. Again, back to Shannon's whole point on modeling as well. I'm finding page one thirty. Oh yeah, it's a little reflection guide. Am I still blurred off? I hope so. Want to get that on video so everybody else can see it. Oh gosh, this mirror reflection thing is killing me. There we go, guys. A little reflection guide. <laughs> okay, cool. So, um, yeah. Uh sh- let's just do a quick round fire before we move on to question number 5, guys. What are your uh what's your top reflection go-to or your digital portfolio go-to? So, mine is Adobe Spark uh, page. I love writing little uh, reflection journals in that one. Who would like to go next?
4: Mine are um, Post-it notes because I haven't quite got to a digital portfolio, um, even though Georgina tells me it every time we talk. Uh, But it's good. It's good. Eventually I'll get there. But yeah, I have about a thousand Post-it notes and Becky really loves my Post-it notes, so I usually do it for her. I love your post-it notes too, even though I've never
0: seen it, because I initially had a visual image in my head of Shannon's entire room being covered in all this visual reflection and planning, and I got really excited, because she probably has lots of different colored sticky notes as well, right? Just one color? Okay, that's cool too. Just yellow. Just yellow? <laughs>
6: That's exciting though.
0: Oh yeah, Becky says stacked on each other. That's cool. You you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Those like creative walls. That's it, Dr. Karen. That's what I'm talking about.
6: <laughs> oh. Well, I have um I'm very boring. I just have a plain Google Doc and I write stuff on it. And maybe I'll throw it on a keep but i'm not very uh, disciplined in my reflection and that's for me that was the key is going back to it i i'm good about throwing my ideas on a document but not going back and re, the you know the, the meat of the whole exercise i'm i'm not very good at that
0: <laughs> but i think that's really good that you're aware right like we all have things that we're not good at. And I think that just being aware of it is half the battle. And so that's something we're gonna work towards. And I think that also helps us to be authentic with the teachers that we support too. Like Becky said, if she can't self reflect, how can she expect others to? If we can't be aware of the areas we need to grow, how can we expect others to grow as well? So I think that's very powerful. What about you, Becky? What are your um, reflection or portfolio go-to's?
5: Yeah, I need to start out by saying, I just give Shannon a hard time about her sticky notes. I love that it works for her. It would scare me. I throw away post-it notes if they're more than a day old. So those don't work for me, but I am, oh, I hate them. Uh, I am working with like Wakelet. I use Wakelet to post bright spots and those I keep private. Um, And then I've been using the Connect Hub IO to, To put in my coaching notes and I don't email them out to the teachers, but that's what's keeping me truly organized and my hope is eventually I will be able to pull from those Wakelet bright spots and be able to share out some of the stuff, but I will never open up the Wakelet to be fully public.
0: That's very interesting. I hadn't thought about not having my wakelets public. But then again, I don't use them for that. So maybe I would if I was using it for reflection and why not wakelet along with many others can be used versatilely, right? I feel like I'm trying to come up with my own language today. I don't even know versatilely is a word anymore. It's getting late for me, I don't know, just saying. Oh, I love these book studies though. You guys just totally are dear to me, and you let me roll with my own new vocabulary that I create. It's just so precious. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Um, No, but Connect Hub, yeah, shout out to Suzanne Summers, guys. Uh, Wow, what a platform, right? I started using that um, for my school, but also for my um, GEG um, stuff as well for any coaching or mentoring I do there. Brilliant tool. Really, really helpful oh shannon's calling out shakespeare made up a lot of words thanks shannon shannon was trying to be kind you're like
4: you're like the modern day shakespeare
0: (laughs) i think that's me going a little red now because i'm definitely not a modern day anything but that's okay thank you shannon for helping me feel special that is quite rosy now it's getting there give it a couple more seconds okay moving along right number four is all about the um We did that reflection in the coaching cycle see the Shakespeare comment totally threw me off my game All right, so back on the reflection um, Cycle modeling is reflection. So really big um, shout out. I think was it Tiffany threw that in there really awesome and Also, dr. Karen said um, We have to return to it, which she shared earlier. So yes, thank you very much for that Okay, guys last question and then we'll let you go for the day or the evening is how do we determine before, sorry, so the quote, first of all, before they can determine a challenge to respond to the problem, they must first understand it. And that recalls another quote that understanding is half the battle, right, guys, we have to know we have to understand before we can tackle a solution. So now I know this is kind of a tricky area right now in online learning as well, because I know, A lot of coaches are feeling like they're the tech people right guys so i know this question is a little bit um tricky but when people have challenges you know related to tech or not how are we supporting them um, in promoting that they understand it first because sometimes when they can understand what the issue is They can help themselves right so like sometimes, you know I know Shannon and I have had a conversation offline before and I've been like google it or she said to me google it and I'd be like, well, we can google it. Yes But we're you know asking each other and it's that kind of idea how many times has the teacher said to us as a tech coach um, what is the answer to this? And you've been wanting to say, well, have you checked Google? Did you read today's updates? Did you did you did you did you and and you know, it's that kind of idea. So how can we support them in cultivating independence by helping them understand where they lie in their spectrum of growth? That is basically where this comes from. Megara talks about mastering the ship. So we want students to become masters of their own, what, of their own content, of their own skills. And so how can we cultivate that with teachers as well, right guys?
4: Yeah, and I don't fault uh, educators when they constantly wanna reach out to like those that are coaching or the mentors or the coach or whoever on campus that you know, is a resource because I do it all the time. Um, you know, and so, but I have this year really pushed a lot of my um, colleagues towards Wakelet. I know we've talked about Wakelet already, but like, it is invaluable. It's not just, it's not just for curating. Um, I mean, I've used the search portion of Wakelet so much to find resources and lesson plans um, to help support other educators and myself. I have a colleague that's out ill right now and i have to take over as a department chair i have to take over her creative writing course and so you better believe the first thing i did was go to wakelet and be like help me people like because there's so many educators that are so like open to share um i also have been trying to push people towards edu twitter so much just because i learned so much uh from twitter i honestly most everything about 2020 has sucked except for getting back on board with twitter to be honest because I'm just learning a ton and growing a ton um and so i think that i think that largely it's for me it's been a lot of like asking questions of my my uh, like mentee and my colleagues like what exactly how exactly like do you want to approach this or what is it you're looking for exactly what is the end goal here you know what i mean um if it's not just a tech support question you know and then giving them some resources rather than just telling them the answer has really kind of helped uh, spur some independence a little bit. And we're seeing kind of a drop off a little bit in the whole like tech support form because they're starting to go and peruse more resources on their own before they're coming and relying on the the tech coaches on campus. So I think that's cool.
0: yeah, and i want to I want to hop on that one too. Um, and say that I am always ready to help with tech questions. I know that some tech coaches feel that that's really difficult, but I use those to turn them into coaching moments. So if I help somebody enough with a certain type, you know, with their questions, we can then say, you, you'll you find them coming back the next week saying, hey, thanks for helping me with that. I did this and then I can turn that conversation next into awesome, have you considered doing this? Or how might you help your students by going to the next level? And so I always use those Tech questions, and I flip them into um, coaching moments personally, um, but um I know everybody's culture is different, but it's just something, a little food for thought if you're watching the recording after the fact that instead of maybe feeling frustrated that you're getting a lot of questions, how can you use those questions and use every single moment as a possible coaching moment? A coaching moment doesn't mean you have to have a 60 minute coaching session. And I'm sure Amanda might fire me if she heard me say that since I know the coaching curriculum for Google EC is quite strict, but my, you know, I have to throw that out there on the line. You know, we need to be taking risks. And I'm going to go out there on this live session and take a risk and say that coaching doesn't have to be 60 minutes in an office with two people on their laptops building a plan together. It is any moment in the hall, in the classroom, on the laptop, on the phone, over WhatsApp group or whatever you're using, Google Chat. And it is every little moment. And those could be three or four different moments over the course of the week. And it doesn't have to be a formal one hour. Our coaching session so as long as you feel that you're making you know positive quality progress in a week with an educator that you're supporting I want to throw it out there does it have to be regimented does it have to be restricted to a routine schedule so that's just my little risk taking for today to throw that out there and maybe not everybody agrees but um, but yeah I think coaching is changing education is changing culture is changing in our communities guys and we need to adapt we have to be there we have to meet our educators where they are just like we're always trying to meet our students where they are right so i think that that's really important and i feel like you did a lot of talking today guys sorry if that's the case i felt very inspired by all of you um right would anybody else before i move on like to add their own shares to that i know we had a couple comments shannon shared already Dr. Karen, you added about um, apps to solve their problems. Nice,
6: tell me more. Well, um, many times I feel like it's not an app that is gonna fix the situation and that sometimes teachers look for that thinking that they don't already have some tools. And so maybe we just need to talk about pedagogy and about learning about learning and about helping teachers you know just basically teach their students they've already got those tools but they need to be reminded i think in their search for the right technology you know we've got a lot of really broad tools we could use in different ways and and uh, i think we need to just remind teachers that they can they can use those um broad tools in different ways
0: Dr. Karen, you inspire me. I all of a sudden had the like, you know, oh, I had this visual. I'm a very visual person in case y'all didn't pick up on that already. These clouds and this like heart music and like this big inspiring moment. It is always back to the pedagogy and I love it. Yes.
6: (laughs) Well, good. Good. Because I I really I'm a a big proponent of uh, I think teaching is a calling. And I think that there are certain people that can figure stuff out and uh, their teachers.
0: I couldn't agree more. It is, it is, and it is a talented group of people in education, right? Dr. Karen, like shout out to all yes. of you on the call. Shout out to everybody watching the recording after the show. You guys are literally yep. killing it like every day and kudos to all of you. It is not easy and it has, it's only getting more difficult because why? Because we're breaking through all the weeds and we're gonna come out into something really exciting. And I'm just so excited about that. Okay, I need to stop talking. I've clearly gotten over excited. Shannon is correct. The upcoming part four is really exciting, guys. Check this out, part four right there. Got the camera angle almost right on the second tilt. Reflecting on your adventure. So this is where I had my big spark. I got excited about many chapters, but I was on the treadmill and I was like, oh, my goodness, that I have nothing to write down what I need. i been thinking about it's just awful, but I know what I want to do. So get ready for chapter um, 13 to 15. It's going to be all in one shot. It will be our final book study together. Now, we, we can totally do another book study. And if anybody else wants to... Um, Uh, what's the word I'm looking for facilitate the book study then I am happy to hand over the reins I think book studies are super cool and I really enjoyed learning from all of you guys to honestly and I'd love to do another one on a book um, voting that will help all of us in our coaching um, in our coaching adventures together however Uh, for next week, guys, please make sure you take a look at uh, 13 through 15. We'll meet in two Wednesdays from now. And it is all about not only reflecting, but it is also reflecting with your PLN. So I'm actually going to Shannon and I are going to share the book study. Um, questions with you guys this weekend, but I want you guys, please, if you can, to participate in what we share out ahead of time, because when we meet in two Wednesdays, we'll all be able to share some really cool lists, because this is about how do we take with what we've learned and keep that going now, right? Once you, it's just like after you finish a certification, right? Now you're certified, great, okay. And you're all inspired, and then how do you keep that going? The candle of curiosity needs to keep going. So let's try to come together in two Wednesdays from now, with the shares that we're going to send you guys to continue sailing on our very important adventure into the 21st century. Okay, awesome. Oh, hearts from Becky. Thanks, Becky. I'm really excited too. Uh, Dr. Karen, Francis, Tiffany, uh, Mia was here. Uh, um, Patrick was here. I almost called him Phil. It's definitely a Patrick, not a Phil. Uh, all of you for coming. And if you're watching the recording after the fact, thank you for joining. I hope you enjoyed reading uh, of chapters 11 and 12. Um, please join us for the final uh, celebration of courageous adventures in two Wednesdays from now. So we look forward to seeing you what is the date let me pull that up on the slide it is the 11th of November. Also a very important day in, in in the world history. So that is good.